Welcome to Cross Section, conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture. Hello and welcome to Cross Section, a brand new podcast from the Evangelical Alliance, which explores life at the intersection of faith, news and culture. We're all bombarded with news and comment everywhere we turn. At some point, we all find ourselves at the cross section as we read and listen and talk about and share some of the stories on our newsfeed. How do we navigate the endless news cycle, social media, fake news, cancel culture, and so much more? How do we apply our faith to everyday life? Join us as we look at some of the news stories of the week, some big, some small. What we're going to do is try and drop a news show each Friday afternoon during term time. And when I say we, I mean myself, Peter Linus. I'm a former barrister turned UK director of the Evangelical Alliance. And I'm going to be joined by Damalola McKindy, who studied law and human rights, who's our advocacy engagement lead and is particularly passionate about how we engage churches around advocacy. And last, but by no means least, Danny Webster, Head of Advocacy at the Evangelical Alliance. He's a policy wonk. He is a news junkie. And actually, it's Danny I'm going to turn to first. So, Danny, what is the big news story of this week? Well, our big story is Boris Johnson and Sue Gray and Partygate. This earlier in the week, uh, Sue Gray released an update on her investigation into the parties that may or may not have taken place and who may or may not have attended them and whether they were or were not against the rules. The update had been trimmed down significantly after the Met Police had said that they were investigating a number of parties and had asked that some of the detail about those was not released. So she released a short report in which, among other things, she said that there were gatherings had happened that should not have happened. Uh, It was somewhat light in its detail, but it disclosed that 12 of the 16 parties were being investigated by the police. The Prime Minister uh, is believed to have been at some of those. Um, Further details were trickling out through this week. And Boris Johnson stood up in Parliament on Monday and you could say he apologised. What he he apologised in certain would you, ways. Would you really? Would I say that he apologised? Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to come on to. He said, "I am sorry for the things that we simply did not get right, and sorry for the way this matter has been handled." He said sorry, but it wasn't exactly clear what he was sorry for, and that leads us into the question of where we go next for him. Support from his backbenchers is starting to fade. More have said that they're submitting letters of no confidence. But at the moment, he's still our Prime Minister and there's no vote of no confidence at the moment. So, Damalola, do you care that you went to 12, 16? Who knows how many parties? I don't think it's entirely unimportant. I think we should seek and have leaders of integrity. So it is important. I do care. I think I care more about... I don't know, I'm nearly tired of this story because of how it's dominated the headlines and just been all pervasive every time I've gone to look at the news. So I feel somewhat over it. But in terms of the big picture of holding our public leaders to account, yes, totally for that. Um, They shouldn't be saying one thing and acting in a different way. And yeah, I'm like, can we also move on talk about something else? It does feel like the tactic, doesn't it? To just, it just keeps going. We've almost priced in that we're not going to get the truth. And that becomes a real issue. I mean, we could go deep and say that's the reality of living in a post-truth world. Or we can just say, this is a problem with leaders who don't tell the truth. Like, and, and if you just keep doing it enough, we almost 
get fed up with the story, Dan, is that? Well, well that, that's the problem. We, we do move on because it's Boris. And we're like, oh, well, do we trust him? Do we believe a word he says? And we just move on. And that's problematic because were these the biggest uh, things that a government could have done wrong? Probably not. Potentially fraud in how PPE was procured and sold and where it came from and how it was accessed and the billions of pounds that have been written off this week is actually far more important in the grand scheme of things. But sometimes a particular issue highlights some problems. And for me, the problem here was that the culture in Downing Street was not in line with what was being asked of the general public. Particularly when there were strict lockdowns, people were taking very stringent measures not to see other people, not to socialise. And yet that didn't seem to be what was going on in Downing Street. It's been said that either Boris Johnson didn't know what the impact of the regulations they were passing was, or he did know about them and he didn't care. Either way, that's problematic. It's that empathy point, isn't it? Because the billions on the procurement, I can't get my head around it. You know, I can get some of them, but it's not, it's not like it's real to us. But going to a gathering with friends or not is something we all had to stop doing. And so we, it, it's much more something we can relate to in a different way. And it does feel like somebody tweeted this that I find interesting. They didn't abide by the rules, so possibly they kept them in longer because they had no concept of the impact they were having on everybody else. And that resonated with me when I saw it. It's just like, these rules meant nothing to, it seems like, a number of people at the heart of government because they weren't actually adhering to them. Whereas the rest of us who were, Danny, you've told the story before about, I mean, uh, your wife was pregnant and you weren't able to be at, at key parts around that. You had a very tiny window. It, it, it resonates with you in a very different way. Well, you, you heard the stories people were telling about what they were doing on the 20th of May uh, 2020. And I remember that day because I was in a hospital waiting, corridor waiting as my wife was assessed as she was about to give birth. And then my daughter was born the next day. And I saw her for two hours and then I had to go home and didn't see her again for the next two days. People have shared many stories of how they weren't with people when they were dying or weren't able to comfort people who were grieving. And people are almost looking and asking questions about how are they, are they regretting what the sacrifices they did make? Are they regretting not hugging their grandparents or seeing newborn children? And actually, did they... Did they make a mistake in following the rules? Were they too harsh on themselves when other people weren't following them? So, uh, I don't know what you think on that. Like, it doesn't matter that he broke rules, that he broke guidelines, that he potentially misled the House of Commons. Are all these things the same? Or is there some distinction in some of these ideas? And then I'll throw this at you too. I mean, Michael Gove, who's, I think, the levelling up minister, made this uh, interesting comment on the radio that uh, we need to extend Christian forgiveness, and he very specifically said it that way, to our leaders, including Boris. Um, so thoughts on all of that? In terms of Michael Gove's comments on forgiveness, yeah, I mean, fascinating what it betrays of an understanding of forgiveness that may well be, have some con continuance with Christian teaching and yet is used quite opportunistically to fit a political moment. And that's just fascinating. So yes, people should be encouraged to forgive in general, but totally support that. And yet, is this a misusing and abusing of this concept and importing it into somewhat foreign territory, at least in the way that it's being used? I think it's a fair question. And I think it, mis it confuses the idea of forgiveness with accountability. Forgiveness doesn't mean that there 
you're not accountable for your actions, that there isn't some consequence of that. And it did feel like very much used for political purposes. And I think that's why it jars. It's when people kind of co-opt language to try and solicit support and say, oh, well, almost guilt you into thinking, oh, we should be forgiving the prime minister, we should be forgiving our politicians. But it, the continued use of Christian language is fascinating. Uh, Boris Johnson went to see his backbenchers earlier in the week and one of them described the gathering as like a Billy Graham crusade and you had another article in the, the Sunday Times at the weekend that talked about backbenchers who had previously been rebellious now sitting next to the Prime Minister giving their full support. It was as though the, croc had, the cock had crowed, harking back to Peter at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. So the continued use of that language is a really interesting thing just to note in our popular culture. Yeah, one of the things we're, we're looking at is cross-section that's the name but also kind of like the foundation stories the various stories we're leaning into so I, I find that really interesting those comments that picked up on our Christian heritage in what is no longer now perceived the UK to be a Christian country and yet we live off the fumes we continue to pull the threads so the three examples you highlighted all pulling on a Christian analogy because the speakers each time think it's going to work and resonate with people and so we have this interesting thing. We've got a rejection going on of Christianity. We're waiting for some census numbers that will tell us where the UK is in terms of its beliefs. But it's still such a dominant part of our heritage and story that people still want to pull it in and rely on it and talk about it. And I guess for me, that takes us on a bit of a pivot. Stay with me into our next story about the Winter Olympics because Tom Holland has been really interesting on human rights. And he said, hey, they don't just exist in the ether. They're fundamentally drawn from the Christian story. You don't get to them any other way. And yet we're living in a culture that's looking at the Olympics. Some of you might not have realized the Winter Olympics are just about to begin. We'll say more in a minute, but they want to pull on a human rights agenda that can only be derived from Tom Holland, the agnostic is telling us, the Christian story. Um, so that, either of you, like the Winter Olympics, I mean, I was surprised that we were around so quickly, apart from anything else, it felt like we just had the Summer Olympics. And in, and in one sense, we did, I suppose, delayed. And they're back in China already again. So Winter Olympics are kicking off. Danny, what, what, kick us in a bit more here. Well, the, the, the Olympics in some ways have already started. There's been curling taking place this week, some of the, the qualifying rounds and that's but the, the opening ceremony on Friday is when things really kick off. And um, where this gets interesting for me is how we handle and how we think about uh, human rights abuses in China and the willingness to speak out. So various countries have said that they won't be sending political representatives to, to these games in a protest against China's actions. But then there's also questions of, well, are athletes able to make comment on the human rights abuses? Are they able to do that? Are they able to speak out? The International Olympic Committee seem to have been quite uh, mute on this. You've got all the Olympic sponsors, big companies that have large trading relationships with China. They don't seem too willing to speak about some of the human rights abuses we're seeing in China. And I think on one level, you can say, oh, it's just a sporting event. Let's enjoy it as a sporting event. But actually, the world will be looking at China and people will be thinking about what's going on. And actually, I think there is then an opportunity to highlight what's going on in China, highlight some of the challenges. And it, some of the athletes may well want to use that opportunity and they should be free to do that. And they shouldn't be criticised or censored by the International Olympic Committee for doing that. So, yeah. Favourite Olympic sport, though, and then we'll get back to what the problem is. <laughs> I, I do like curling, but I think it's got to be the skeleton. I think 
flying down those shoots. Flying down on a tray. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to. I don't think I've ever heard of this. We've well, got skeleton in the, the luge. One you're on your front, one you're on your back. I'm not entirely sure the difference apart from that. That's the uh, difference. It's the one we, on the front head first. It's crazy. Yeah, it seems like a lot of fun. So yeah, we I have... Fun are clearly. <laughs> <laughs> does different things for fun is what we're what we're getting out of that. Okay, so, uh, d- does anybody know who was in the the kind of uh, final playoff? If you like to get to host the Winter Olympics, it was Beijing and Kajikistan was the only other country. A number of European countries pulled out. It's part of the reason they say it went to China is they thought they would at least deliver. Um, so we've said human rights abuses, Damalot. I mean. What are the kind of stories, what, what are the main issues in China that we need to be alert to? Well, there's a few things to profile them, in particular their treatment of the Uyghur population who occupy a region of the country that I will not seek to pronounce in the case of and potentially offending someone, but they occupy a part of the country that is about four times the size of Turkey um, and they are um, somewhat Turkish related and yet they've known um, extreme persecution by the Chinese government and also persecution against them on the grounds of their faith and this has been a crisis that attention has been drawn to and progressively over the course of time but in this moment in particular it's worth drawing attention to their plight and while this pomp is going on and this ceremony um, is taking the and the attention of the world, surely their plights and their condition and the subhuman conditions that they're having to live under should also be worthy of note and attention. And I know, Danny, that you've looked here also and there's a number of other things that have been pertinent to highlight. Well, I think the the situation with the Uyghur people is, so you have these detention camps, you have stories of indoctrination, so that their, their Muslim faith is being suppressed in, the, in order to be more in line with the Chinese way of thought. Uh, Questions around sterilization of mass populations. The treatment is really, really quite severe and quite shocking. Um, But you've also got questions around democracy in Hong Kong and the increasing repression of freedom of speech there to think about. And then that, that to pick two examples would be suggest that everything else in China is fine, whereas it's, while it is now a very capitalist country, it is also a communist country. So there are severe repressions on Christians meeting in China still. So the, the situation in China isn't simple. It's not just one thing. But actually, the freedom for people to speak out against these human rights abuses is really important. Yeah, and I think the, the IOC is trying to say, hey, look, the Olympics is not political. But the head of the IOC was involved with uh, Peng Shui, the Chinese tennis player, when she made claims uh, that she had been abused by a senior, uh, sexually abused by a political senior party official. And he intervened and, and, and was involved in a Zoom call to kind of prove her whereabouts. But there's still very little information coming out about her. So, and, and this week we had another story about British judges who sit on the Hong Kong Supreme Court and questions about whether they should do that with the draconian laws that are coming in there. I think you've highlighted, Dan, I think it's 12 million Uyghur, pe- Uyghur people, Muslim by faith, and that is the key issue. This is fundamentally religious discrimination against them because that's what's threatening about them is that they have a faith. The Chinese government don't like that and see that as a threat to their whole system of kind of mass surveillance that goes on in this. And I do think the Olympics have big questions to ask, from my perspective at least, around the ability to speak out on this. They're trying to say to athletes, don't say anything. 
they're saying they can't even necessarily protect athletes in China if they say anything. The Chinese government may intervene. Like so, why are we giving a stage to this, a cover to some of what's going on? So I'm and, very... and the IOC are. I think guilty of double standards here because in 2014 when the Olympics were in in Sochi in Russia, the IOC spoke out against Russia's uh, treatment of um, LGBT people and their record of LGBT rights. Uh, So it's not like they have never spoken out on human rights issues. Damalala, you were coming in. Yeah, I used the word subhuman earlier, and it's quite a strong word to use. And yet, I think it is in play here, yes, around the forced sterilizations and the degree of surveillance that the Uyghurs um, are subjected to. But fundamentally, around this issue of freedom of religion and belief, they are followers of Islam. And I believe, and I think we do believe, as Christians, they should have a freedom to pursue that faith. And yes, as a follower of Jesus, I long for everyone to come to know Jesus, to have an opportunity to hear about who he and respond to him but I also care about I'm hosting a space where other people can come to explore faith and recognize that God has given us a freedom to make sense of our place in the world and make our way towards him and they should have a freedom to do that to pursue their faith it's not just a perk of being alive it's actually fundamental to a flourishing life and to have a freedom to explore those deepest questions of who we are and what our life journey is about so i think that is where the subhuman thing comes in and yes while we explore and celebrate human exploits and the olympics and all of what that world entails, we should also consider this deeper question of what it is to be human and where their faith and the place that their faith has in the midst of that. I'll also shout out the fact of my um, phone getting a notification a little while ago. I had hit DND on my phone, I missed it on my computer. First of all, problem of having two devices to use and staying on top of them. So please do spare a thought and a prayer for me over the course of your week. Brilliant. Well, Damalo, thank you for clarifying that. If you're listening on audio, all is well here. If you're watching on video, Danny's disappeared because we don't like him. It's the Chinese surveillance has kicked in and taken him offline, but the audio is still there. Guys, if you're uh, listening for the first time, we'd love you just to share about the show, to rate us, to, to push us out on social media. That would be amazing. If you're enjoying what you're listening to in cross-section, please do spread the word. Uh, you can follow us on at at EAUK News, if that's on Twitter, and you can interact with us there. Uh, you'll find, I think, Danny and myself on social media. You can hunt for that. Damalola doesn't believe in it, so that's fine. Um, she's staying off. On Instagram, you can yeah. find us at Evangelical Ants. No, she is on? No, she is indeed. She's staying away for as long she's as possible. Indeed. Fundamentally yeah. opposed to it. Here we go. And you can get in touch with us at cross.section at eauk.org. What stories should we be talking about? If you want to interact with us, either find us on social media or email us at cross.section at eauk.org. Having done the socials, I'm going to pivot us to one last social conversation in a sense. This is Spotify and Joe Rogan and the boycotts and cancels and whatever else. Damalala, what, what is this story for those who haven't seen it? Yeah, this was my question a little while ago too. So happy to share my learnings with the rest of the world. So apparently, um, in circles that I don't quite float in, Joe Rogan is a massive podcaster. He has origins as a fighter and a comedian, um, and he began his... um, podcast the Joe Rogan experience in 2009 since then it has become a bit of a sensation and a few years ago Spotify um, engaged him in a hundred million dollar deal to be on their platform and giving this hosting this podcast so 
part of his thing is hosting a somewhat controversial space. Um, so he has a range of thinkers on it, like Elon Musk and thought leaders, Jordan Peterson and whatnot. And then he also hosts um, and has hosted some people with controversial opinions, to say the least, on COVID-19. So this most recent controversy um, surrounds um, episodes that have been aired in the past month, one of them involving a Dr. Robert Maloney, who has been accused of spreading misinformation around COVID-19. Um, so there's been quite a lot of pushback on the back of this. 300, just under 300 medical professional scientists signed a letter to Spotify and um, asking them basically to better regulate their platform and to um, pay better heed to the kind of content that is being pushed out through it. Um, and a number of high profile musicians are beginning to pull their content from it. So Neil Young, Joni Mitchell um, and India Rhee um, have all pulled their music from the platform. Um, Spotify in response have said they don't get in, they are trying to host and this is really fascinating because some of this is definitely in place. It's a question of balancing to what extent the safety of their listeners and freedom for their creators. Um, and so they're not inclined to intervene um, big time into this, but they have said that they will issue disclaimers or have advisory warnings on podcasts discussing COVID-19 going forward, which has met some of a mixed reaction so far. So now for you guys to share what your reactions to this fiasco have been. We kicked well, I think it on social, didn't we? I think on Instagram, we asked our yes, followers did. and they 81%. So should Spotify censor their podcast? 81% said no on Insta and 70% on Twitter said no. I actually thought that might've been the other way around, but generally still the sense was no to censoring. I mean, they put a warning on it, which seems to me sensible, but it goes back to this freedom of speech, but also truth. I mean, back to our, our first two stories again, how important are facts? Do facts matter? And how free should we be? And, and they're trying to navigate, I think, a line through that. Danny? And I, I think it comes down to this question of what what is Spotify? And likewise, what is Facebook? What is YouTube? What is Twitter? Are they just a platform that anyone can say what they like on? Or are they a publisher that has a responsibility for what they put out, but can also choose not to put out stuff if they don't want to? I think some of the discussion around cancel culture is simple, simply people or organizations or companies choosing not to profile a certain person or position or idea. And I feel like that's fine. Publishers can choose what they do. Newspaper publishers, they choose what stories they post. So I don't think it's stopping people from speaking out. But I think actually, when you then do start uh, having coming under pressure to change what you're putting out uh, because of other people not liking it. Now, I think we have we've got to come back to these questions about how do we uphold truth in our public life? How do we counter these false narratives and these ideas? But how do we also allow people to speak nonsense if they want to speak nonsense um, and accept that actually Unfortunately, that happens in our society. People do speak nonsense. They should be debunked and criticised for what they speak, but they should be allowed to speak it. Oh, Danny, some people probably say that that's what's going on in this very podcast, but we hope not. And uh, I think you've brought it. You did tell me an interesting thing just beforehand that Neil Young, one of the people who've left, who's left, has then signed up with Amazon. And you were pointing to a story in which Amazon China then were removing any critical reviews of Xi Jinping's book 
the, the Chinese premier, his books. So, you weren't, so again, like he has the freedom to go and move, but he goes to another platform that's also censoring something else in a slightly different way. And this brings us probably to the heart of the matter as we come into land on our stories. Do facts matter? Absolutely. Like right at the core of the gospel, it's a good news story. It's not an idea. It's about a person who actually existed. Jesus said, we know what the truth will set you free. That's a pretty key topic, as you've said, Danny, we'll probably return to. It's a really key idea for us. So we're really interested in truth, or I am, I'm going to say, and I'm really interested in freedom as a consequence of that, which is why I'm interested in these stories. But for me, one of the things we're trying to do again is just reflect. So how do we look at news stories in such a way that I take account of the truthfulness or not of them? And how do I look at what they're doing in terms of human freedom and human flourishing? As Damalola was reminding us, like, how do you celebrate human endurance and excellence in a sporting event while simultaneously not ignoring the degradation and the lack of human dignity and the fact that treating of people as subhuman? How do we hold that together in our complex world? And that, for me, is the challenge. I'm going to hand it to one of you to land us right in here uh, and wrap us up. Well, I, I think we, we've, we've got to recognize that. We've got to recognize how can we speak truth? How can we be willing to speak truth in contexts where it's hard? What would we do if we're an athlete at the Olympic Games? Are we there just to get our gold medal in the skeleton? Or are we there to criticize the human rights abuses? I think where we have platforms, where we have opportunities, this comes us back to the platform and profile point. When we have those platforms, we have a responsibility to speak truth in those contexts. Agreed. Ah, so sure and honored, Damalola. Thank you so much. So one last time, we're a brand new podcast from the Evangelical Alliance. We're called Cross Section. If you liked it, please review, rate, be nice to do whatever it is you need to do. We want to say a huge thanks to Joe Evans, who's our producer, to Chris Ringland, who's doing all our post-production, and Tim Coish, who's on tech support. Without those guys, none of this would have happened. Join us again next week. Who knows what the three stories will be, but you could influence that. Get on social media. Email us at cross.section at eauk.org. I hope that's helped you think a little bit more about Do Facts Matter? How free are we? Have a wonderful week. Be blessed. Cross-section conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture.